Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Malcolm's favorite book, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Another translation puts it this way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. So as you, we've been going through the book of Philippians, now we're in chapter 2. Um, we've covered verse 1 and 2. Today we will be focusing on verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in low, lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now, um, that scripture in itself, as you read it, I don't know about you, but I know as, I, as I've read this scripture many a times, and particularly this morning, it speaks volumes. It almost goes against my, my grain, my, myself, my, my, my life, my, um, who I am. It says, I am not to do anything through selfish ambition or conceit. Human nature actually goes against that, isn't it? We often will want to do things for our own benefit first. So, I suppose the, the, the next logical um, thing or question to ask is, what does it mean to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? What does it actually mean? Of course, in your mind, you, you kind of understand, you know what it means. Don't do things for yourself only. But it's a little bit deeper. There's more to learn. There's more because God, through His Spirit, uh, has given us the Word. And as He's written these words, it's quite plain and simple. But there's even more. There's nuggets. There are things that are hidden in what He says. And so Paul try, will try to um, help us, or the Holy Spirit will try help us understand what it means Practically, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit through this book that Paul was writing. So Paul goes on to instruct the Philippians, his friends in Philippi, to have the same mindset as Jesus when relating to others. Relating to others. And he then puts, he details just how humble Jesus was. Remember, Jesus was our perfect example we read and learn from him. We try and emulate him. We try and follow him. We try and learn from him and try to be like him as best as we can. But in order for us to understand what it means to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, what does it actually mean? We need to define a few terms. Selfish ambition can be understood as motivation to elevate oneself or to put one's own interest before others. It's a motivation to put my interest before your interest. 
I tell you, that's human nature, isn't it? Uh, you, you can lie to me, but I know that it's human nature to, for me. I often want to put my interests first before anyone else. But Jesus wasn't like that. He wasn't like that. It is a self-above approach. A self-above-others approach. So I am on top. I, I come first. It's all about me. I care for me first before I care for you. Which is contrary to what Jesus came and taught his disciples and us on earth. The Greek term here carries with it a connotation of um, contentiousness. The King James Bible translates the word selfish ambition as strife. Translates selfish ambition as strife. Vain conceit simply means excessive pride or self-esteem that has no foundation in reality. Vain conceit simply means excessive pride. Vain conceit is a, an elevated and an incorrect sense of self. Now we know what the word says about how God feels about pride. What does he say in his word? He says that he will humble those who are proud. And he will exalt or lift up those who are humble. Pride is a, 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 a work that needs to be continually worked in us. Continually. The Holy Spirit is, is having to remind us, trying to help us not to be so proud. Because God actually detests pride. It is because of pride that the enemy did what he did. It's because of pride that he found himself in hell. It's because of pride things are the way they shouldn't be. So doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit means not letting our actions be motivated by selfishness and pride. And how are your actions? How are your actions toward each other, toward your spouse, toward your, your children, toward uh, your colleagues, towards your work, um, if you're an employer, your employees? How are your actions? Remember that old good old saying that says, actions speak louder than words? It is true. I can love you with my words, but then man, I can just um, kill all that love with my actions. Paul gives the plea for unity in the commands of verse 3 and 4 based on the privileges of verse 1. Remember this whole passage of scripture, Philippians 2, Paul has been calling his friends to unity. He's been inviting them to be unified within the, the, the church at, um, together and at large because we need to be united. Verse 1, there are privileges that he speaks about in verse 1 where he writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. I made a, a statement uh, when we were speaking about verse 1. Paul was, was um, uh, uh, happy to say, make my joy. It's almost a prideful thing. How, who is he? Why must I make his joy complete? But we know that Paul's heart was for the people. He was um, fighting for the people, fighting um, against flesh and blood in, 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 um, in the spirit, in prayer for the people. So when he says, make my joy complete, he's speaking to them and saying, make my joy complete because as you make it complete, man, I see God is doing an amazing work in your lives. It says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one and of one mind. Now let me get to verse 3. And Paul challenged the believers in Philippi with self-centered problems. And I believe God wants to challenge us as a church, as individuals, about self-centered problems. And here we'll see that Paul will argue against two negatives, or two negative attitudes in this verse. I often will joke with my wife when we are not fighting because we, we are almost holy. We don't fight. Um, that's a joke. But um, we will often, I'll often say we are going through a challenge, whatever the case is. And I'll be like, I'll, I'll assess the, the, the situation and I'll, I'll, say, I'll make a comment and say, man, these, this situation... It, First world problems. First world problems. We make such little things big in our lives. Meanwhile, there are others who are battling even more than we are. Self-centered problems, perhaps. And yes, I, can't, I don't make light of it because we do have challenges. Whether it's up there or in the middle, or at the, we all have challenges. But our mindset needs to be um, different. We need to... Uh, the way we tackle our problems and our challenges has to change. We have to look at uh, our problems, not necessarily from a first world problem and not from a self-centered attitude, but from an other-centered attitude. So Paul argued against two negative attitudes in this verse. He starts off by saying, Let nothing be done through let nothing be done through, right? Of course, nothing means nothing. <laughs> nothing means nothing. He doesn't say let some things be done through and let other things be done. He says let nothing be uh, done through. Nothing meaning completely nothing. The word through there indicates that Christians have these two negative attitudes to attain their goals in the Christian community. So it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. This word selfish ambition is used in Philippians 1 verse 17 and uh, 1 verse 16 in the New King James. For those who opposed Paul, remember Paul was preaching the word of God? And he says, though they are preaching the word of God, through selfish ambition. 
self-centered attitudes. They want to be better and greater than Paul. But Paul would say to, to his uh, friends in Philippi, don't worry about them. Don't worry about their attitudes. God will deal with them. And in Galatians 5 verse 20, um, it uses the same word for characteristic of, uh, of the flesh. It means party spirit or fa- faction. This involves intrigue by a person who wants to promote his own cause. Paul here is addressing issues of the heart. He's addressing character issues. Character issues. How's your character? How's your character? I once um, heard it said that we don't risk with people's character. Because character is who you are. And Paul is trying to address the character found in people. Now, there's one thing when it comes to this self-centered attitude that the world throws at us. I am better than you. I've got it all together. Me first. Me first. There is this um, thing called um, self-assertiveness. Who here has heard that you need to be self-assertive? If you're not self-assertive, then you are weak. If you're not forward, then you'll get bumped out the way. Who has heard that? The world says that. Wow, man, your character needs to change. You need to be more self-assertive. You need to be heard. You need to be loud. You need to be in people's faces. The truth is, self-assertiveness is a cultural value. It is not a Christian value. It is not a Christian value. Being self-assertive is not a primarily a Christian value. Just because I'm a little bit timid, as it were, doesn't mean that I am not aligned to God. Doesn't mean I've got to change my whole uh, persona and, 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 uh, and be more self-assertive. And someone who is um, conceited, who has selfish ambition, will impose their will on others and not respect the others' will. In other words, on my thing, on my way and only my way. I am it. You better, you better go my way because my way is right. Your way is not right. You, you do not know. I know. I am better than you. I have studied more or I have got more money or I've got more whatever, whatever the case might be. No, that's not the case when we look at Jesus. Because that distorts unity. Remember, Paul is actually speaking and calling the church to be united, to be unified under the banner of Jesus Christ. But then he has to deal with characters because he knows that we are are in the world, but not of the world. And because we're in the world, we are subjected to these things that the world shapes and kind of puts it, and this is how it should be. But actually, it's not necessarily God's way. See, strife knocks others down by manipulation and intrigue. 
strife tries to get people on their side by insidious means. So I'm going to try to get you on my side by ma- making way. Yes, the word says we are, must be as wise as a serpent and as, as gentle as a dove. And I do think some of us take it to another extreme where we impose our, our, uh, our, our cause over yours. Over yours. So this person promotes his cause by any means possible. This is a person who is selfish. Now one of the best examples that I can use about selfishness and maybe vain conceit is, and I know you guys will relate to this, is um, politicians. Politicians, unfortunately, care nothing about the truth. They just care whether their party will win. They are passionate about their point, but care little about the effects of what's going on. They do not care about the welfare of their constituencies. They are simply, simply trying to get people to vote for them. So they can win. Why? Because there is a, there's unselfish ambition. And that's in some ways generalizing because not all politicians are like that. Not all parties are like that in the world. But I'm sure the ones that we've been exposed to and the ones that we see, we can uh, uh, attest to that. We can testify and say, yes, you know, selfish ambition. But within the parties, within, there are people who don't have those selfish ambitions, who are out there trying to make a difference. But the, the, the political um, environment is a, is a good example where people fight to win, not for the truth. And unfortunately, many believers today care little about truth. They simply want to win at all costs. Now, that again is a, almost a general statement. Not all believers, but many do. And wanting to win stuff in, a, in a, maybe a sporty environment, there's nothing wrong with that. We have to go and win and do our best. But when we are wanting to win everything, because of our selfish nature, it does not bring glory to the king of kings. The acclaim of men is more important than principle. So Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Conceit means empty glory. Strife knocks others down in order to win. Conceit parades itself before others. Oh, I'm better than you. I've got it all. Oh, sorry for you. It means to deck oneself out with a facade that has nothing behind it. A conceited person also lives for an applause. A conceited person also lives 
for an applause. Christian brothers and sisters, do we live our lives to get an, an applause from each other, from men? An ovation from men is more important than the approval of God. That's a conceited person. We are too concerned about what, what others think. I want you to praise me. I want you guys to praise me. I'm not too concerned about God's approval. As long as you say, hey, well done, Joe. You've done well. I'm happy. I'm happy. But what if God says, I, I didn't ask you to do that. I'm not happy with what you've done. Yeah, your friends might say they are happy with what you've done and what, you, what you've achieved. But what if God says, I didn't ask you to do that. I'm not pleased with what you did. I've, I've heard it said before. People will say, this is how I am. You ever heard of that? This is how I am. You can't change me. This is how I was, I was uh, I, I got brought up and this is my persona. This is how I am. This is how I am. Who made you like that? Who made you like that? Oh no, I am a people's pleaser. Who made you like that? There's nothing wrong with identifying that you are, you are a people's pleaser, provided that it does not go against God's principles. There's a difference between being a peacemaker, which I believe people sometimes confuse be between um, being a people's pleaser versus being a peacemaker, Peacemaker which seeks to please God and uh, a people's pleaser. The difference between being a peacemaker which seeks to please God and a people pleaser which seeks to please people, seeks to please man. Where do you fall in the, on, on the spectrum? How do you live your life? Do you... Live your life to please man or do you live your life to please God? These are, uh, I would imagine, challenging questions I'm asking myself. I'm not asking just you. I'm asking me too. What, how is my life? Am I living my life to please man or am I living my life to please God? And if I say I'm... You know, because the Holy Spirit helps us. He will help us to please God because the Spirit of God lives in us. And He is transforming us, as the word says, from, um, um, uh, from glory to glory. We are, becoming, we are being transformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, the perfect example. And so if He's doing that, He will change us. He will help us. He will do things in us. He will work through us that we become more like Christ. More like Christ. Yes, we are, we are not perfect and we will never be perfect on this earth until we get to heaven. But there's a work to be done. There's a work to be done. And that work that needs to be done is done by Him, the Holy Spirit. But remember, He does not impose Himself on you. 
He doesn't come and say, I'm going to supersede and override your will. He gives you your will, and he says, it's your will. I will not interfere with it. I will not temper. You have the right and the ability to decide. Today I give you a chance to either choose life or death. Which one will you choose? He doesn't say, ah, choose life, choose life. Of course, he encourages us to choose life. But he doesn't force us to choose life. We get the choice that we are allowed to make. Like I said, I think I said this last week, it blows my mind. The creator of the universe, the one who's created you and I, who holds us in the palm of his hands and the universe together created me and gave me my self-will. And he says, I can't mess with that. I've given that to you. <laughs> I've created that in you. I've given it to you. But I, can't, I cannot mess with that. I want you to follow me because you want to follow me. Not because I'm forcing you to follow me. And see, actually, a conceited person is a person who appropriates to self what belongs to God, believing self to be the ultimate purpose for existence rather than God. So you take what does not belong to you. You put yourself in the seat of God's throne room, as it were, over your life. Now, we should be the means and not the end. When we sit in the status of God and deck ourselves in His majesty, we operate in shallow sovereignty. It is a shallow thing for us to take God's dues. Another example here is that I can think of is wherever we have some sort of authority. So if I'm an employer, I've got authority over my employees. If I am a husband, I've got authority over my family. Uh, we've got levels of, of authority. How do we um, exercise that authority over those that God has allowed us to, or has put under our, our care? Do we act as though we are God? Or do we allow God to be God in those situations as well? Where do self-assertiveness end and vainglory begin? They appear to be two sides of the same coin. See, we can learn how to avoid acting out of selfish ambition and vain conceit by looking at the contrasting words in the same context. We're asking how. How do we not do things out of selfish ambition and, and, and vain conceit? Because in, 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 a, in us, inwardly, it's almost something that's there that we want to be selfish. I want the best for myself. I do. Reality is I do. Because we live in a fallen world. The opposite of being selfish and vain is simply to, in humility, count others more significantly than yourself. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. We're in December, we're in the holiday season. Are you going to look at others' interest more than your interest? Life, as it were, generally, We were at uh, my son's school the other day, and um, again, I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice story. Um, so there was the, the, we had to fetch stationery for next year, but these packs are quite big and heavy, heavy-ish. And um, so we're walking out the school, and um, I hear behind me something drop. I was like, ah. That must be the box. And uh, it was a lady who was carrying this big box and it snapped. And um, as I turned back and I thought to myself, man, I need to go and help this lady. I must go and help her. Um, so then I went to her and I said, ma'am, are you, can I please help you? Where, where are you parked? And she's like, no, we're further up the road. Don't worry, I've got it, I'll take it. And when she said... She's just around the corner. I was like, okay, it's just around the corner. It's not too far. And then something happened to me and I thought, no, 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 no. I need to help this lady. I am different. I need to help this lady. Then I, I, I said, can I help you? And then she said, okay, cool, cool. I took the, 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 the box and I walked up and it wasn't just around the corner. It was a little bit far. <laughs> But of course, I don't know whether it was uh, we uh, maybe scared or there was pride in her that she doesn't want to, uh, doesn't need help. Uh, or maybe she thought, ah, oh, I want money. Maybe I'm going to help you, but then you must, <laughs> you, she must pay me for, for helping her. I helped her, took, her to, took the stuff to the car, put it in her car, and she turned around and said to me, thank you. Thank you. And that just, it, it, it made me feel human. <laughs> it made me feel human. Now, as a lady who is, she, I don't know whether she's a single lady, or she was there, but with a little son, um, I don't know whether her husband was at work or whatever the case is, but all she needed was to be helped. Someone going out of their way to say, I'm going to help you. Something has gone wrong, I'm going to help you. Now, I didn't go and say, I'm going to help you, but... 50 bucks? Need to pay me 50 bucks? No, I recognize that I'm different. But actually, that's not me. It's not me. It's Jesus Christ in me through the Holy Spirit, helping me to be more like Him. Because that's what Jesus would do. That's what He would do. He would reach out and say, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I know you can do it, but I'm going to help you. See, we must learn to be others-focused, not self-focused. If you're putting others first, we won't be conceited or proud or overly ambitious. It's a hard thing to be self-important when we are considering others more important. So the antidote to this is actually we are to um, consider others more than we are to consider ourselves. 
And as you consider others more, then that selfish ambition will just start to dissipate. It might come up every now and again, but then we need to squash it as best as we can. See, it is through understanding our salvation that we can live in unity. Remember, Paul is addressing his friends in Philippi, calling his friends to be united. How am I to be united with each other? How are we to be united? Is by looking putting you first rather than myself. There will be unity as a result of that. How are we to live in unity with other believers and love them as Christ did? See, when we truly see how much Christ has done for us and understand the fullness of his love, pride and selfishness melt away. When we allow the Spirit of God to work in and through us, pride and selfishness has to melt away. Those who know the love of Christ do not try and wrangle for position within the family of God. Rather, they recognize the purpose of the body of Christ and live it out. So you recognize my gift and you celebrate it. I recognize your gift and I celebrate it. I encourage it and celebrate it. I don't put it down so that I can go up. That's uh, another quick uh, analogy or story that, I, that I, I have to share. It was um, from uh, one of my mentors. And um, he's an Afrikaans uh, gentleman. Um, I know he won't mind if I called his name. His name is Henny. And... Um, he would say to me, Joe, you know, Afrikaans culture and the black culture is quite similar. <laughs> quite similar. And I said, okay, well, tell me how is it similar? He's like, in the black culture, you guys want to put each other down so you can go up. Black people want to put a stamp on each other so they can go up. So it's the same with the Afrikaans culture. We want to put our people down so that we can go up. If I have my Afrikaans friend here, I'll put him down so I can go up. But man, you raise a finger to my Afrikaans brother or sister, or to my Zulu friend, or, or man, the Zulu people, the Afrikaans, the, they all come together and Ubuntu is born. <laughs> we will fight for each other as soon as you try and uh, come against us. I thought to myself, man, that is quite, quite something. But that is not just an Afrikaans culture. It's not just a black or Zulu or um, Kenyan culture. It is a world culture. It is a, 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 a culture that has been born by those who do not know, by the, the enemy who has come and placed it. We will put each other down so that I can go up. And the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of upside down realities. I put myself down so that you can go up. Which is a little bit different, isn't it? So, Living according to this scripture, Philippians 2 verse 3, is difficult for the Christian. 
on earth. On earth. But it is not impossible. And it pleases God. If we try to live after scripture in our own strength, we will find that it is exceptionally difficult. But if we yield to the Holy Spirit and allow Him kingship of our lives, kingship of our lives in every area, not just the holy area, every area, allow Him kingship in our lives, we will soon find ourselves living out this scripture with hardly any effort. For it is God who works in you and I, both to will and to do his good pleasure in us. So at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, what this scripture, Paul is trying to, you cannot achieve unity in your own strength. You cannot do, you cannot live this scripture not doing things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit in your own strength. Actually, you and I, the key is we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the help of God through the Holy Spirit. And our responsibility, remember, He will not force Himself on you. Our responsibility is to continually yield to the Spirit of God. And the more we yield to the Spirit of God, the more this scripture becomes a reality in our lives. Then you're not so caught up with trivial stuff. Not caught up with the things that take up your, your world. They're so big. But they shouldn't be that big. So the key in all of this, if there's anything that you um, that I would love for you to take out of this passage of script. In fact, of all the, uh, the, the, the whole book of uh, Philippians is we are to continually yield ourselves to the King. Allow the Spirit of God to work in and through. And it's hard. I know it's hard because the self-will is, 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 is a difficult thing. But God says, I will help you. You just surrender yourself to me. I said earlier, we need to allow God's kingship over all areas of our lives. Father, thank you for your most holy word. Thank you, Lord, that you care enough to bless us with your word. And I pray over my friends this morning, my family, those who are here and those who are not with us today, and the Christian family at large, God, that you would help us, Father, to be to be ones who yield to you easily. Yield to you easily. We need help here. I need help here. I am selfish and I want things my way. But I thank you, Lord, that you are helping me day by day, transforming me to the image and likeness of your Son. So I pray, Lord, that you'd help me You'd help us to yield to you so we can live out this Christian life fully as you would have us live it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's not just words.
that there are principles that we have to follow. There are benefits and blessings that come from following you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see that. And where the enemy has come and lied, placed lies in our lives, and told us the opposite God, I rebuke those lies. And I ask you, Jesus, by your Spirit, to speak truth again over us. In Jesus' strong and mighty name I pray. Amen.